Hi, I'm Dr. Lorraine Lundquist. I'm a faculty associate at the Institute for Sustainability at Cal State University Northridge, but today I'm speaking as a private citizen, and I am here to urge you to vote in favor of the Elon Project. I want to thank the commissioners, to those of you who already voted to support it, I wanted to thank you, and to those of you who voted to protect workers, I also want to thank you, and I want to insist that today we have the opportunity to do both. We no longer have to choose between great, cheap, clean energy and storage and workers' rights. We can we can do both. We can do uh, clean energy projects with project labor agreements, clean energy projects that have great union labor, and we also need to make make it a priority to take care of our workers who are fossil fuel workers and make sure that we provide opportunities for them as they transition away from those fossil fuel jobs. Thank you. This is Chris Roth here with Bushido Squirrel with your weekly knock activism wrap-up. Today we're going to be talking about uh, a number of different events that have been happening in a very packed week of news here in L.A. We've got the Eland vote that happened uh, on Tuesday at the L.A. DWP uh, Board of Commissioners meeting. Uh, and then we're going to also be talking about uh, some big news for renters, both in unincorporated L.A. as well as a number of votes that happened in the Assembly and the State Senate. Uh, over the past week. Uh, I actually just got a whole bunch of legislation to update y'all on. Uh, and then also point out that the uh, LAPD, despite the best efforts of activists, have decided to make drones a permanent part of their arsenal. So a mixed bag in some senses, but overall a pretty good week when it comes to uh, the situation for renters in LA and across the entire state. So how's it going, Bushido? Uh, it's going all right. So uh, we're recording this on Thursday, obviously, before the uh, next Democratic debate happens tonight. So by the time you hear this, it will have happened, and oh, yeah. I am going to predict that it will have been terrible. Uh, and I'm kind of excited to see <laughs> what Yang's surprise is going to be, but also I don't really yeah, care, and say. he should drop out. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and the other thing yes, I want to kind of sure. like, I, I want to mention this just as like, I'm kind of confused with the internet at some point, is Elizabeth Warren released her healthcare plan today, uh, which as far as I read it, seems pretty much like I'm doing Medicare for all, like she says that repeatedly, uh, but is getting a lot of blowback from people who are skeptical that she's doing Medicare for all. And I guess there's an argument to be made like, do you trust her to fulfill that promise versus does her plan say she's doing Medicare for all? So I spent a bit of my morning trying to figure out like what the hell people are yelling at Elizabeth Warren about for what seems like a pretty like straightforward, uh -huh. I want to do Medicare for all proposal. Uh, and then also I got retweeted by Judd Apatow and that was kind of weird. So um, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that one develops. Yeah. Yeah, so that that was fun. That was uh, relating to Disney, right? Yeah, because Disney is terrible in trying to own everything. <laughs> like by the by the time I die, I assume Disney will be able to sue you for having imaginative thoughts, because um, that seems to be their plan at they're this point. On it. Yeah, they're gonna uh -huh. they're gonna get their thought crimes, but for like the mouse. Uh, but anyways, yeah, let's talk about this Topanga <laughs> Crime Busters meeting, uh, which went down Monday evening, uh, conveniently uh, started at 5 p.m. up at the Topango, uh, uh, Topango, up at the Topanga uh, division for LAPD, which, you know, getting up to Topanga at 5 p.m. on a Monday is clearly something that most people who work jobs can do. So we can see who was like 
the demographic they were aiming to get, but it pulled together a lot of people, not just from the NIMBY groups, but a lot of people who have been keeping an eye on them and pointing out that, like, violent fantasies against the unhoused are really, really terrible and bad. Um, and LAPD went back and forth a couple of times. Like, when they first booked this meeting, it seemed like they really wanted the Crime Busters groups there. And then after getting some blowback, they're like, no, no Crime Busters groups. And then I feel like John Lee and some other folks, you know, emailed some LAPD officers and were like, what do you mean my supporters aren't invited to this meeting? So they opened it back up to the Crime Busters people who showed up and said all sorts of terrible, stupid, horrible, no good, very bad things, uh, ranging from the idea that, hey, we want LAPD officers in our groups because if we are posting violent fantasies about harming the unhoused, wouldn't you want Mm. LAPD to be keeping an eye on us? Mm. Which... I mean, Mm -hmm. there's telling on yourself, (laughs) and then there's telling on yourself. Um, A lot of people were uh, arguing that these groups aren't that bad, that what we really fundamentally need is more violence against the unhoused. Uh, One of the, one of the, yeah, one of the, well, one of the things that Michael, like Michael Kolhaas has a, a whole live stream of the event, but one of the moments that he tweeted about that really blew my mind was one of the um, people who's not associated with Crime Busters, who's kind of an activist who's been watching this, stood up and was like, hey, one of the reasons that you all aren't hearing a lot of pushback from people who don't agree with you is when people come to meetings and oppose you, you all scream and get super angry and like, as the folks from Crime Busters did, try and stalk yeah. and dox people like ground game members for having the temerity to to post their public comments. And he's like, this is you know, going to kill public debate and this is why you're not hearing both sides of the story. And then the Crime Busters people started yeah. screaming. Predictable. Like they were yelling at him that he's wrong and they don't <laughs> shout people <laughs> oh down. And you're God. just like, okay, we have just left the, the realm of the rational a long, long while ago. But so uh, to TLDR it for you, LAPD will not allow their officers to participate in these groups. LAPD does not support these groups. LAPD is saying that they don't have coverage to go and hold these kind of groups anymore. Uh, This also comes, uh, I believe, a day before Fern Peskin White, the woman who started these Crime Busters groups, uh, had an attorney send a letter to the LAS demanding that they retract her story about all of these violent vigilante groups. LA Mag, thank you, not LAS, LA Mag. Uh, But it's a poorly written letter from an attorney. It makes very little sense. And Sean Peskin White is basically angry, or Fawn Peskin White is basically (laughs) Fern. God, I I am all over the board today. Uh, But Fern is very angry that people have taken notice of things that her and her friends posted on Facebook, a public forum on the internet, and now think less of them and are judging them for their violent, terrible comments. So uh, we also, here, those of us here at NOC were described as radical activists uh, for doing things like giving menstrual pads to unhoused women and making sure that people yeah, living on the radical. street have water. So you can kind of see where like the mm-hmm. battle lines are drawn. And I feel 100% okay taking the oh, ethical yes. high ground here. Um, if you think of, of, if you think Crime Busters is the folks doing the right stuff, Uh, seek therapy, seek it immediately. Please, this is not how we fix the housing crisis. We also don't fix it the way uh, Ron Galperin seems to think, which is we all move into a pod chair and rent a bed for $1,500 a month. That was wild. Yeah, so that one was uh, kind of I think nuts. it's only $1,200 a month, but it is for a bunk bed in a large communal dormitory. Yeah, well, so. and then also you have to buy yeah. a food plan because there's no place to prepare your own food. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, there's a whole bunch of like, and there's no renter protections. You can be evicted in you know yeah. same day evictions and all that jazz because it's not actually housing and it's being run illegally in uh, residential. Oh yeah, and there's a bunch of ancillary costs that oh, come yeah, on with it come along with it. Like you have to have a credit card in oh, order yeah. to rent one of these. So like not only do you have to have you yeah, know yeah, twelve hundred yeah. bucks a month for a bed, not even a room, just for a bed, and yep. then also uh, have a few hundred dollars left around for your meal plan. You also have to have good credit. So you know when the pod share people definitely not like housing discrimination going on there. Well, and when the pod share people say like this is going to solve homelessness, you kind of sit there and you're like, what? No, this is just basically for like kids who are moving out of their dorm and don't have enough money to afford like an uber expensive luxury apartment and whose parents are able to float them for like six months to a year while they wait for their tech job to pay off. But... That's a that's a story for another time, yep. which I'm sure we're going to keep fighting. Along with, I do want to flag this oh, one. We're not we talking about it will. now because we have to keep <laughs> it short today. Uh, but Trump, uh, not Trump himself, but some of his cronies were in town walking around Skid Row oh, yes, and talking absolutely. about a plan to essentially kidnap homeless people and move them to camps. And they're, in fact, looking at facilities yep. in the SoCal area that can be turned into camps. And if you listen to this week's Citations Needed podcast, this is literally what the Nazis did. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's trending yep. terribly. But we'll We'll update you more on that as it develops in the in the future, probably in the next couple of weeks. Um, but so let yep. Quick shout out to Mayor Garcetti for inviting Trump and his allies to come out here and talk about this. And stuff. then throwing Chrissy very, Teigen under the bus surprised. for no reason. Like Mayor Garcetti started started throwing shade at Chrissy Teigen, and he's like, "Where is she when you need her?" And you're like, "You're an elected official, Eric. She's like a model. She like what does she have to do with this? Oh my Buddha." Anyway, so uh, let's move on to some good news. (sighs) So uh, the LADWP board uh, made a big vote uh, to the consternation of Jack Humphreyville, our favorite budget hawk (laughs) in all of L.A., who had a great meltdown. You can check my Twitter account or Ground Game's Uh, Facebook page to see that video. Uh, But let's talk about this vote on Tuesday. Yeah, so basically on Tuesday morning, uh, as we discussed last week on the podcast, we had a, uh, a rally that was being run by Sunrise Movement LA in, in coordination with uh, our allies from Stand LA and a couple of other groups, uh, SoCal 350, uh, Food and Water Watch. So we were out there basically to really urge uh, the LA DWP commissioners to go back and, and re-vote on a, uh, on, a, on, a, on a motion that had kind of stalled out. So there was this plan to bring in, it's the largest uh, solar and battery power purchase uh, infrastructure plan that has passed anywhere in the country. And the vote to bring this forward was, was pretty well stalled out last, what was that, like three weeks ago or so? Yeah. And uh, it, it, it happened under rumors that there were problems with uh, union contracts and a number of other things and it really caused a bit of a a bit of a kerfuffle so sunrise and our allies decided to show up and make sure uh, that this thing ended up passing we ended up with um, a number of people submitting uh, comments digitally online the day or two before I think you get like almost an entire week period I forget exactly what the time frame is for that but every Every elected body in California is supposed to allow you to submit comments electronically, and uh, they all have their rules, so it's fun to learn those as you go around. But we showed up, and uh, we had something like 50 people by the time the uh, agenda item number 21 finally came up. 
Uh, we got to watch a very informative uh, video that was basically like LADWP does Discovery Channel, how they built this, uh, like modern marvels from History Channel kind of thing going on, where it was like, hey, this is what happens when you've got a million volts that you need to discharge into the ocean safely. It was actually kind of fun, but then they, uh, they ran into some technical difficulties and stalled out their YouTube presentation. Huh. But yes, yeah, so we had uh, 52 different people or so giving comment, and only one of them uh, was opposed to this Eland project, Elon, sorry, project. Uh, and that was one Mr. Jack Humphreyville uh, from City Watch. And he, uh, he's always just like the, 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 the thorn in the side of progress when it comes to any of these kind of projects because he constantly is super concerned about having the, uh, the ratepayers advocate be on board, which actually it turns out that the ratepayers advocate uh, did reverse their position and go from being neutral to being supportive in the hearing. So, that so was basically also they fun. gave Jack the uh, finger, uh, which I love. Uh, yes, but also very like, much I, so. I think my, so my, favorite, being a, a, my favorite part of Jack's commentary was when he said, you know, sure the unions oh, yeah. might be on board, but Jack, but uh, uh, Brian Darcy, the head of the union isn't Brian Darcy. And I was like, really, you're going to play like big union politics here. Like <laughs> wrong room, dude, like learn to read the room. Nobody in LA city hall right now <laughs> wants to bow to Darcy. Everyone dislikes the guy. Uh, except for maybe John Lee. So I thought that was a weird power move on Jack's part to be like, hey, the really unpopular yeah. union boss, he doesn't like it. And I, I don't know who he was trying well, to convince. He also, yeah, so Jack also was complaining that it wasn't fair that he was so vastly outnumbered by the will of the electorate. But, you know, details about the democratic process and whatnot. What do you mean my candidate didn't win just because he got less votes? That doesn't, that's not democracy. <laughs> Yeah, so the board of commissioners ended up they ended up voting uh, unanimously uh, to support this deal. And just a quick excerpt from the LA Times: "Quote under the 25-year deal with developer Eight Minute Solar Energy, the company would buy electricity, or sorry, the city would buy electricity from a sprawling complex of solar panels and lithium-ion batteries in the Mojave Desert of Eastern Kern County, about two hours north of Los Angeles. The Eland project would meet six to seven percent of LA's annual electricity needs and would be capable of pumping clean." energy into the grid for four hours each night. So one of the things that was brought up in, in the uh, discussion amongst the board members, uh, and I believe actually it might have been the ratepayers advocate who was talking about this, um, it was basically like, look, yeah, but the potentially like, the cost of uh, battery backup uh, or battery uh, storage facilities and everything are going to continue to go down, and we, we hope that they will. But this is the right time to be making this purchase because it is already going to be so much cheaper than all of the alternatives. Uh, and a, a bunch of the folks that gave comment really pointed out that this is uh, we need to make sure that the the Inner Mountain project is canceled or minimized. And one of the activists even pointed out like, hey, look, just because you've got a contract to like let them build this this power facility doesn't mean you actually need to have them use it. You can have it shut down and just not produce the coal power because we really, really do not want to be having any coal power rolling into the uh, the Los Angeles power grid because it's you know com completely counterproductive toward the long term sustainability goals of both the city and the state. So yeah, it, it was a it was a very good meeting. It was a lot of fun to be there. A lot of energy. A lot of uh, folks in the room that were extremely excited. And I, I believe uh, the Board of Commissioners was definitely not expecting. Uh, they, I don't know if they've ever had that room filled before, but it was filled and then it was overflowing and people were in, uh, in the additional space outside of the room. I almost didn't get to be in there in the first place because we were down to like one or two seats that were available uh, and I snuck in. 
But yeah, it was a packed house and uh, a lot of energy in support of uh, clean, green, renewable energy. So good yeah, time. there was, and uh, you made the uh, picture for the LA Times headline on this piece. So uh, I yes, noticed a couple of ground gamers in there, and obviously sunrisers. So that was good. But I think it's yep. it's one thing that the city bureaucracy is beginning to have to grapple with is that people are motivated and they want to show up, and they're really deeply concerned about how these bureaucratic decisions have been ignored for most of LA's history. Yeah. And this is a real change. Because again, like these commissioners, they only make 50 bucks a meeting. You know, they're appointed by the mayor. They kind of like serve until he decides mm -hmm. to have them not serve or they decide to, to step away from it. So it's been a very insular, um, very not public role. And that's beginning to change. And I think like after some immediate pushback when this first started happening, they're understanding that these movements have staying power. And I think that, you know, what's going to be happening now is there's going to be uh, obviously kicking up the amount of solar and battery power we're using is good, but there's going to be questions about how that development's going to look and how that's going to fit in, because obviously Kern County is not as populous as LA, but that doesn't mean that solar installs and battery installs don't have some environmental impact. It's far less impact Absolutely. than the fracking and oil drilling that has been going on up there, um, especially when we've learned about a couple of like oil spills up in Kern County and out in San Bernardino that were going on for months before anyone was told about them. So it's, it's, you know, we're still looking to strike the balance. Um, but I definitely think that the solar installs and battery installs way lower impact and have a much better future than continuing to drill oil. Um, but it's obviously going to have some disruption up in Kern County. So it'll be interesting to see what the state of California is going to do to make sure that the people who do work in the oil industry up there don't end up completely without jobs or without a way to support themselves. But this is all part of that just transition that we're talking about as we move forward. So all in all, yeah. a really huge win and a really huge win for people power. Yeah, and it also really uh, got to give a little some some props to our council members who helped to make this happen because uh, when the news came out, Bonin, uh, who gave a, a bit of a, a, a speech to the people that were gathered for the rally out front before the vote happened, uh, Bonin mentioned that he got together with Koretz and Krikorian to write a letter to the LADWP board saying like, look, no, guys, this is what we need to be doing. So uh, Bonin spoke to us at the rally beforehand. Koretz came in and uh, he gave about a four or five minute public comment that unfortunately I was not able to capture because my recording equipment uh, didn't get flipped on because I'm, I'm uh, not super familiar with using it all the time. Uh, yeah, so we missed the comment from Koretz, but uh, everybody uh, was actually instructed to just be like, if you agree with Koretz, just say that you agree with Koretz and don't, don't repeat the same comments to us over and over again, which was extremely patronizing from the uh, president of the board. But, yeah. you know, whatever. We got, we got the mission ac accomplished. And uh, shout out to uh, Bonin, uh, Koretz, and Krikorian for supporting this and uh, helping to make it happen. And, uh, you know, big, big props to the Stand LA, uh, Food and Water Watch, Food and Water Action, and uh, all our Sunrise brothers and sisters who came out and, uh, you know, spoke from the heart. Oh, and, of course, SoCal 350 and everyone else that was there. Yeah, so, so from one big win at the LADWP, we've had some other big wins here at the LA County Board. So we remember earlier this year the County Board of Supervisors in LA passed a temporary rent cap, uh, and it looks like they're making that permanent. Yes. Yeah, so this week, uh, at this, literally at the same time that this meeting was happening at the LADWP board, uh, the County Board of Supervisors was also holding a vote, and uh, they also voted unanimously to uh, pass 
make that rent cap that was a temporary rent cap make it permanent. So this now is applying to a uh, what is it forty three around forty three thousand five hundred multifamily units. Uh, all of them that were built before February 1st, 1995, which is, of course, uh, the date that is specified in Costa Hawkins, uh, you know, the bane of uh, renter advocates around the state. Uh, yeah, so this this is a huge move because basically we're, we're looking at seeing all of the rents in unincorporated L.A., which is, uh, you know, areas like East Los Angeles and uh, all, all of the, the not charter cities and not... Um, uh, you know, client cities of the county uh, who get, you know, they're policing from them, but rather the, uh, the unincorporated folks who the, the county board is literally their only governing body here before the state. Uh, and yeah, so they're, they're going to be seeing their rents uh, permanently tied to the uh, cost, of, uh, cost of living as it increases. So uh, this is a, a huge win for all of the renters is un- in unincorporated LA. Yeah, no, that's a that's a big one, and it comes on the heels as we're going to get into uh, assembly and senate stuff now. Uh, some other renter protections that are going to be hopefully coming on online. Uh, Gavin Newsom still has to like put his signature on them. But before we do that, let's talk about Assembly Bill Five, and this is being oh, pushed. Real, real oh, quick, yes. I was just going to say that I, I I forgot to mention that in the county, uh, the unincorporated county, in addition to the, having an actual rent cap, which I believe it's a, like around three or four percent. Uh, it is. Uh, it also comes with just cause eviction protection. Oh, very. So cool. this is a a huge win uh, for renter advocates. So yeah, just wanted to throw. Yeah, that no, there. that's actually a huge win. Yeah, thank you for the footnote there. So uh, yeah, yeah, let's let's go on to uh, Sacramento. And so the first one we're going to talk about AB yeah AB five, which is being pushed by uh, Lorena Gonzalez, um, and she's coming out swinging for gig workers. Uh, this one's making <laughs> yeah, waves yeah. across the nation with the New York Times editorial board coming out and telling the rest of the country to adopt AB5 like protections. Uh, let's give a quick rundown yeah. of what AB5 does. Sure. So, I mean, the the biggest part of this is that AB5 is going to be uh, well, real quick, it, it passed with a 21 29 to 11 vote uh, on on Tuesday, came out of the Senate, uh, went over to the assembly and then it passed from there. Uh, what this does is it forces uh, companies like Uber and Lyft to reclassify their employees as actual employees rather than allowing them to continue to exist as uh, as, as contractors. Yep. So this is uh, this is a huge huge win for everyone. But Lyft said that the California political leadership quote missed an important opportunity to support the overwhelming majority of rideshare drivers who want a thoughtful solution that balances flexibility with an earning standard and benefits. End quote. Uh, so it's, um, pretty remarkable how apparently the drivers who were all, uh, like all of the drivers that I've spoken to anecdotally have been massively supportive of, uh, both AB5 as well as the California Supreme Court, uh, decision process. They're all extremely clued in as to what is happening when it comes to their legal rights and their wages because it's their source of income. Uh, none of them took the same stance that Lyft is saying that the overwhelming majority of rideshare drivers uh, want to see happen, uh, and instead they do support AB5. Yeah. And it's it's a weird one, too, where you know Uber and Lyft are both trying to sell the line that they're not transportation companies. 
their tech companies oh, and yeah, all they yeah, run that, is the that's app. That's the best part. And it's kind of funny to me because I was listening to the BBC <laughs> talk about this and the BBC, BBC commentator they had on was saying, you know, these companies that connect gig workers, quote unquote, are just tech companies with an app and the workers don't work for them. And this kind of like mundane legalistic language is really a cynical attempt to get around the fact that like the shareholders and the executives of the company are relying on somebody else's labor to line their own pockets and they want to make sure that those uh, drivers, those gig workers are as unsettled as possible because then they can't use their power or leverage their power to get uh, better wages, to get better working conditions, to get things like health coverage, like basic things that people need to live in this world. And they're also selling this idea that, you know, people enjoy using this as just a second job. Like this is just a second gig that they do for the extra money, which leads you to the question of like, why should anyone who's working a full-time job have to or feel the need to take on a second part-time job on top of that. You know, if you're already working 40 hours a week, why is working an extra 20 hours a week making your life better necessarily? It seems like that's the point of full-time employment is for you to not have to take on these extra gigs. So I think there's a lot of, of kind of dissection that's going to be coming along as Uber and Lyft uh, push their ballot measure, which they're going to be pushing for 2020 to try and get this law repealed. Uh, they've also, just for fun, they've, they've put $90 million into a fund to fund their ballot initiative. Uh, that's equal to wow. 6 million hours of work at $15 an hour. So these guys would rather wow. spend $90 million on campaign consultants and uh, political ads and lobbying than they would paying people. And I think that says a lot about where their like loyalties lie and where their class interests lie. And hopefully AB5 is going to be a death knell for these kind of companies, at least in their current form, because none of them make any money. They're really good at burning money. They're very bad at making money. So we'll have to see. There's going to be some changes to the gig economy coming one way or another, but it looks like the biggest companies in the sphere uh, are not going to make changes, um, which is not surprising, and hopefully they get sued. Uh, but let's move on. So really yeah. quick. To, to do a little a little bit of a, a, a bit of background on this from an August 30th article by uh, Margot Roosevelt Liam Liam Dillon and Joanna uh, Buyan Buyan uh, I cannot pronounce her last name I apologize uh, they were talking about the fact that uh, this the the uh, specifics of why this is important. Uh, for contract workers is that, quote, contractors, including many in multi-billion dollar technology companies, are not covered by laws guaranteeing a minimum wage, overtime pay, sick leave, family leave, unemployment and disability insurance, workers' compensation and protection against discrimination or sexual harassment, nor do businesses pay into Social Security or Medicare for contractors, end quote. So this is like really the, the scope of why Lyft and Uber and everybody else are so opposed to this is that they now are going to have to take on the responsibilities of actually treating their employees like employees under this legislation. This is a huge deal uh, for the gig workers because this is you know one step closer toward actually having like a living wage be a part of you know actually working in this country and us expanding the scope of how we define all of that to make it so that people can have a more dignified life. Yeah. So big story. Uh, it, it, it's going to be fun to see what happens because Uber has already come out swinging and saying like, yeah, we don't care. We're a tech company. You can't force us to do this. Uh, so I'm expecting that they're going to be having a uh, not so fun time in the courts in the very near future. Yeah. I mean, and after, you know, their success with getting sued for gray ball and all of their other, you know, 
blatantly illegal things that they've done um, in their their sort of um, mission to take over the world. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this one plays out. Um, you know, uh, but moving on to uh, let's talk about renter protection. So the first one we've got is yeah. Senate Bill three twenty nine that deals with Section eight, which Section eight is the voucher you get from the federal government that helps pay the full balance of your rent when you can't afford to pay your entire rent. Yeah, so effectively what this does is uh, this bill now makes it illegal for landlords to discriminate uh, based uh, discriminate between renters based on the source of income uh, for which you know they're, they're using to determine whether or not you can actually afford to rent uh, a unit. So this makes Section 8 a protected uh, source of income that you can't use to discriminate because uh, we all know that like if... if Landlords are using, it, it make, I mean, it makes sense when you dig, dig, dig a little bit beneath the surface. Like, if a landlord is able to then, dis, is able to legally discriminate based on the source of income and use Section 8 as a means of disqualifying renters from, from being taken in as tenants, uh, it's basically codifying racism if you don't protect against it because there's a disproportionate uh, number of folks who are receiving Section 8 benefits uh, who are, you know, would otherwise be protected based on dis disabilities or on, uh, on, on race or on any other kind of uh, protected class. But because the landlords were previously able to use Section 8 as a means of just being like, yeah, don't trust, I don't trust this income to be as consistent as it needs to be because, you know, part of that is the fact that Section 8 only covers a fraction of your rental costs in the state of California and specifically in Los Angeles um, versus if you take, you know, Section 8 vouchers are based on uh, federal guidelines and they don't actually really reflect what the market requires in housing, a really good argument for decommodifying the damn yep. thing. Um, but yeah, so you can see like Section 8 vouchers in like Wisconsin are something that landlords are like, oh, hell yeah, we will absolutely take this because it is it is worth like we, it guarantees rent. Like yep. it is worth at least as much as the rent would cost on the unit versus in LA. They're like, yeah, no, that's like 30% of your rent. You're not, that doesn't count. That's not enough. So the, 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 the issue here is that it's uh, effectively a way to just cover up and uh, justify racist uh, or otherwise uh, discriminatory rental practices. So it's good to see this moving forward, though it's, it remains to be seen how how enforceable it really is going to end up. Yeah, being. and also we have to wait for uh, the Gavinator's signature, but it looks like he's probably going to sign it. I can't imagine he won't. I yeah. don't see him not signing it. And this. then the, the next one that he's probably going to sign because he helped negotiate this deal uh, in a real like about yes, face did. for him was Assembly Bill 1482, which this was the one bill that made it through that day in May when all the rest of the housing bills got slaughtered. The reckoning. <laughs> yeah, but it also picked up some of the protections that were in other bills yes, that did. got slaughtered. So so let's talk about 1482 as it now stands. Yeah, so as it stands right now, so one of the one of the big things that had happened was that initially it was supposed to be uh, just you know protects everyone at 10% uh, rental increases for the next three years, and then after uh, Gavin Newsom got involved, uh, uh, apparently the authors were able to, to coax a lot more. David Chu. Uh, from San Francisco being the, the main uh, backer on this one, I believe, uh, we, we were able to coax a lot more uh, out of the legislature. And it's now rents are capped at 5% plus the consumer price index. Uh, 
or up to 10%, you know, whichever one of the two of them is lower. So at most you can see a 10%, but it's, it should be lower, closer to around like seven or 8%, um, maybe 9%, which, you know, when you really start factoring it in there, it's like, oh, well, this isn't like a huge win, but at the same time, it's better than nothing because otherwise landlords are just able to increase the rent as much as they want. And they have. So this is going to last for the next 10 years and it's going to go into effect in January. Um, the LA Times points out that, quote, the cap does not apply to apartments built within the last 15 years or single-family home rentals unless they're owned by corporations or institutional investors. So I was actually scrubbing through the text of the bill itself, and uh, all of the sections that I had seen that were relating to uh, single-family homes owned by institutional investors, all of that language had actually been uh, struck out, and I was trying to find where the new amendments were uh, that got put in there, but you know, I am not. Uh, I, I'm not one of the authors on this bill. I don't know all of the specific details on it, though we have been following yeah. it pretty closely and, here and, sometimes, and watching the uh, ups and downs and crazy stories. Yeah, and it. sometimes Cal Ledge, like the the uh, site where you can access bills online, takes a little while to update. Like they're not the fastest on the draw, um, which is kind of sad. But um, I have a feeling if the LA Times is saying these uh, protections are there, then they definitely are. Uh, one thing that's interesting to note is that the bill picked up some unusual allies before for the last vote in the assembly because it had to go back there after the amendments. And uh, the California yeah. Business Roundtable, which is a notoriously kind of reactionary business-friendly group, has decided to come out in favor of AB 1482 uh, and was like telling people to call specific assembly members uh, who are on the fence about this. And what they're thinking is, as far as I can tell, is if they believe that if we get state level rent control that will stop local rent control from becoming a reality which would be i guess for a lot of their partners harder to deal with or would make it you know instead of just one rent control regime across the state would potentially be hundreds of different rent control regimes across the state which i ultimately yeah. hope we do get local rent control because this has to be dialed in um, yeah. and it has to be dialed in yes, it because does. like the the cost of living in a city like modesto is different than a city like Los Angeles. And if we're using the entire state, which is going to skew higher because of the influence of cities like Los Angeles and San Francisco and San Diego, where a lot of the economic engine is, it's yeah. going to harm people in those smaller and more rural communities. Um, and especially where it's a lot of the single family homes uh, that are rented because they don't have like huge apartment buildings. So, you know, we need to make sure when we're doing stuff like rent control, it's not just serving the urban populace. Like that is where the majority of renters are, but that doesn't mean they're the only ones deserving of protection. Um, and this kind of, yeah. yeah so uh, also to, to add on this really quick, the part of the reason why like the business roundtable and, uh, the California apartments association, uh, ended up backing this was also, there was a change in the eviction protections. So, uh, at one point during its life, uh, this bill did include effectively, you know, almost a just cause eviction, but not quite. Um, and one of the things that got traded here, so it was back in, what was it, March when it made it out of the assembly, uh, it was a three-year bill at 7% plus CPI, uh, and it had some pretty good uh, anti-eviction uh, rules in it. But then when it got retooled, it jumped up to, or jumped down rather to a 5% plus CPI, which is good. But then those anti-eviction protections were loosened to give landlords a little bit more flexibility on, on who and how they can evict. So you know, it, it is very much a, a, an exercise in horse trading. And like you said, it's 
this is definitely seems to be done in, in preparation for uh, a ballot measure, which I believe is still very much moving forward um, from the AIDS Healthcare Foundation uh, chair uh, chief, uh, Michael Weinstein, who is going to be, he basically just came out and said, this is not enough. This, this, no matter what you guys do, it's not going to be enough. We need to fully repeal Costa Hawkins. Which he's and right. And so he plans on running that again. And no, he yeah. is right, for sure. So this, this uh, I believe it was an attempt to try to dissuade folks and get them to not push as hard as they did on Prop 10 last year because there are a number of other things that are going to be coming in uh, that these same folks are very scared about and they really want to be able to focus on those fights rather than, all of the fights at once, including Costa Hawkins, which already cost them, what was it, uh, $100 million in, in advertising and uh, expenditure last election cycle. They are not looking forward to that fight again, and yeah. it's going to happen. And I mean, uh, they, they clearly want to be investing their resources fighting the Prop 13 reform that is going to split the roles so corporations Correct. will have to pay their fair share of property taxes. So again, like mm-hmm. the more fronts we can attack these uh, business interests on, the better chance we're going to have like getting more stuff through and also costing them a lot of money. Um, you know, as much as these companies yes. are uh, <laughs> able to bank a lot of profits and are able to, to bring in a lot of money, especially with the tax changes that came through in the Trump administration, where it's a lot easier to use your real estate as a tax shelter, the more we can bleed that off, the less it's less easy it's going to be for them to maintain that stranglehold on the market. So I'm looking forward to the fights that are coming up. I'm also hoping we get the tenants' right to organize finally enshrined in law and a lot of the tenant protections that we we yep. didn't get through earlier this year. Uh, but speaking of another big win, let's talk about State Charter Amendment 1, which this is the one thing that I give Anthony Weiner a lot of credit on. And I know he's not the only mover on this Hell one, yeah. but I... you know he's been pretty vocal about the need to get rid of Article 34. Yeah, so Article 34 is uh, straight up probably the single most racist aspect of the California state constitution. Um, What it does is it was passed back in the uh, 50s, and it uh, basically enshrined, um, shall we say, local control over the creation of of public housing. Uh, And when we say local control over the creation of public housing, we mean it in the worst possible way. We're talking about uh, basically white neighborhoods that are able to uh, vote against the creation of public housing in their neighborhoods, uh, which is why we haven't really had any public housing being built in any meaningful way here in Los Angeles since that passed. So what SCA 1 will do is it put was basically the uh, the legislation that was making its way through the, through the Senate and through the Assembly, and I believe it got a unanimous vote in the Senate, um, and I forget what the vote was in the Assembly, but it was also very good. Yeah. Uh, it, it will put Article 34, this, which requires the local, uh, a local vote on any new public, uh, public housing project, it'll put that up for a vote for everyone in California to just decide whether or not we want to keep it in the Constitution. Yeah. And if it gets struck down from the Constitution, it will dramatically ease the process by which uh, cities and counties across the state can actually go out there and build the 
single most affordable type of housing that there is, which is public housing. So yeah, and, and really excited to see this one move forward. And a, a type of affordable housing that isn't going to cost them money in the sense that like they'll have to cut tax breaks to developers to get them to build affordable housing. You yeah, know? exactly. They'll be able to just like lay out to have a building built and then be able to bring in revenue, and that building will pay for itself after a while, and then maintenance yep. and upkeep and improvements will all be paid for by the people who are paying rent there, who are also paying into the city coffers. Like, having more social housing that not only appeals to people who are living below the poverty line, but people who are even like marginally middle class is a great thing. Like the more stability we can give people yeah. in their housing, the better our economy is going to function because not knowing if you're going to be evicted or have to move hours away from work, like these are all incredibly stressful things that way too many people in Los Angeles and California in general are going through. Um, Let's talk about Assembly Bill 1197, which is dealing with permanent supportive housing and shelters. And this is actually a huge one for undermining uh, some of the most reactionary groups in the city, like the La Mirada Neighborhood Association uh, and the Fix the City Coalition, who have effectively used CEQA to stop a lot of development. Exactly. So what 1197 does is it basically removes a bunch of the red tape when it comes to constructing shelters and supportive, permanent supportive housing uh, projects. So this is a huge win. It's uh, The author on this one was Miguel Santiago. Uh, and it's great to see him coming forward with a piece of legislation that's really going to be make, making a difference here for the housing crisis and for the the, uh, the homelessness crisis in particular, uh, which is, you know, of course, related to the housing crisis uh, with that's inextricably related to it. So this will uh, it's, it's a boon for the developers as well, especially like nonprofit developers and for uh, the trades unions, because this means more construction projects for them. And as you've probably heard us mention, I think we've gone over the, the issues with uh, green mailing and whatnot, yes. where uh, these, these neighborhood uh, coalitions, which are oftentimes like, you know, I, a front organization for a single individual, uh, come in and they stall out these projects. But before yeah. we move on too far, I do want to say I am a little bit sad that the Target Husk accounts will be going dark because finally that, that <laughs> Target will be built. And that was the only good thing that La Mirada <laughs> has ever done for the city. Well, this 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 uh, this does not change any of the sequel requirements for stuff like that. This is just uh, removing the requirements uh, or, or loosening the requirements rather for uh, projects that are are basically in line with the immediate uh, demands of our homelessness crisis in this state. So it doesn't loosen up the sequel requirements on anything like the target. Uh, so I don't think you're going to be seeing anything moving on that one yet for a while. Well, no, they're, they're going to finish the this. they're going to finish the target. But you know, you're right to point out that, oh, that this, are. yeah, oh yeah, yeah, it's in it's in process. So that's happening. But you're huh. you're right to point out that this would not <laughs> stop other target husks from maybe being raised elsewhere in the city. Absolutely. It just this this would only stop them from uh, putting the brakes on uh, the good projects that are actually helpful. Hooray. So uh, this one. This one in conjunction with, uh, this actually potentially in conjunction with Article 34 repeal could mean that we actually see some meaningful uh, momentum start to build up in terms of building these kinds of projects across Los Angeles in the coming future. Because if you remove the ban on uh, public housing and then that filters in with permanent supportive housing and other projects like that, 
like the city could start running some of these projects themselves if they wanted to, and then they'd be able to use 1197, I believe, as a way to uh, push those projects forward faster. So could be exciting. We'll see how it all ends up working out. But yeah, yeah no, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to see that one. I'm super forward. excited also to see, you know, which way this goes so we can stop, you know, these dumb ideas like, oh, teachers can't afford to live in the city. Let's build them essentially yeah, dormitories right. next to their schools so that they can be sort of like Ugh. indentured serfs because we're not going to pay them enough to afford to live in the Bay Area. And like we can just build middle class uh, public housing that is able to feed yeah. people, that's e able to provide stability for people and for people who are economically down on their luck or people who are housing unstable. We can provide shelters for people who need a little bit of help to get on their feet. We can provide permanent supportive housing with wraparound services for people who need more help. And again, you know, something that I really want to point out that gets lost in a lot of the housing debate and especially the, the debate about what to do with the, the housing crisis and people who are caught out on the street is needing help isn't a bad thing. And we have this sort Correct. of rubric in our society that if you need help, you're morally inferior to somebody who doesn't. And that's just bullshit, and we need to do away mm. with it. And this is a good way of kind of, you know, normalizing the fact that, like, if you need mental health care services, you can get them and have a stable place to live. Um, and it's, it's I'm, I'm really excited for this one. Plus, like, it's going to yeah. anger a lot of the people who do a lot of really dumb reactionary stuff in our city and probably stop them from making as much money. Like the La Barada Neighborhood Association has pulled oh, in man. hundreds of thousands of dollars <laughs> yeah. that have just disappeared into a black hole. And yeah, it's just like, uh, you know, uh, Doug Haynes is living large off of our tax dollars by stopping our city from developing and stopping him from doing that will be a great day. So let's also talk about Hooray. other people who profit from human misery uh, in the form of Assembly Bill 32, which is going to stop the, the state from using private prisons, from what I understand. Yeah, so AB 32, let me pull up the title of it. There we go. Uh, it is a Detention Facilities Private For-Profit Administration Services. Uh, this one came out of Bonta, Chu, and Gonzalez, Gloria, Kamala, Dove, Santiago, a whole bunch of folks. And uh, what this really will do is it, it's going to stop the renewal of contracts for any uh, private detention facilities uh, that are, are currently with, under contract by the state of California. So this is a big win in terms of trying to slow down and end the, the process of mass incarceration. Uh, though, uh, as is often pointed out, private prisons here in California do not represent the majority of uh, the prison population by any stretch. But uh, still, these are you know corporations that are making a making a buck off of uh, trafficking in human misery and seeing the the end of their contract renewals uh, be mandated by state legislation is absolutely hands down a win. So yes. Good bill. Yes. So that's a that's a really good one. And I'm I'm like it's sad that it took this long. Uh, California has sort of been moving away from private prisons with our prison realignment plan through Prop 47. Um, there's been a lot of movement on sort of decarcerating, and unfortunately, that's meant moving people into more of a probation system. But that's still being worked on. But I think yeah. the more cages we can get torn down the better, and that's the immediate need. And 100%. yeah, 
And then we can address the other harms that come out of the probation system and the way that that's used and start to begin to like not punish people simply for not being able to afford a, a high-priced defense attorney. Uh, so the last one we're going to touch on, and this is one that is near and dear to both of our hearts, is going to be Assembly Bill 857, which uh, the, it had its first go-around in front of the voters in Los Angeles in the form of Charter Amendment B that would have allowed LA to charter its own public bank. Uh, AB 857 is similar in a lot of ways, but also different, and also would cover the entire state. So it passed through the Assembly, it went to the Senate, it got amended in the Senate, and so mm -hmm. now it's headed back to the Assembly, right? And so yeah, it, it got amended and passed uh, with amendments in the Senate, and it has made it mount now back to the state Assembly floor where the amendments are going to be uh, basically, they make a determination of, of like, yes, we accept those amendments, and then bada-bing, bada-boom, you pass it, and then it goes off to the governor's office. So uh, it is entirely possible by the time that you hear this uh, that this bill will have passed, and we've got our fingers crossed that it will. Uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good bill. It definitely opens up the doors for the creation of... Uh, of, of public banks in cities and counties across the state that really will be able to leverage their positions uh, and, and their, their tax revenue base to help ensure that there is low-cost financing available for credit unions and community banks, as well as for the cities and communities themselves to reinvest in their own infrastructure and everything else that they need to do. Because honestly, the, you know, public banks are uh, an idea from the past who people that and it's it's great to see that it has been reborn uh, in in the work of people like Ellen Brown and others who have really brought this idea back into the mainstream and uh, this is potentially going to be a bellwether case uh, of legislation for the rest of the country where California is like oh yeah we can re-embrace this thing and then North Dakota is going to be like what's up we've been doing this forever <laughs> so it's cool to see it moving forward, and I really hope that we uh, then see the next step in public banking here in California, and once this presumably does pass, uh, and then of course we will still need to make a charter amendment here in the city of Los Angeles. Um, maybe they'll start thinking about creating a, a bank of the county of Los Angeles, but what I really, really want to be seeing is a bank of California, yeah. a meaningful bank, state-level public bank of California, because oh my God, we could do so much. And I almost jumped in and said, you're oh my Buddha, because uh, you're rubbing off <laughs> on me on that one. Uh, it would be amazing to see a Bank of California and what it could do with the level of uh, revenue that goes through our budget here at the state level uh, and the kinds of uh, financing and investment opportunities in our state's infrastructure, uh, housing, and everything else that we so desperately, desperately need. Uh, that's, uh, I hope, going to be the next step for the folks over at the uh, California Public Banking Association and uh, you know, celebrate this victory, hopefully, and then move forward and uh, get some more stuff done because this fight is definitely Yeah, and I, I got an email like as we were recording from uh, the Sunrise Movement Bay Area telling me to call my state senator and tell them to vote for public banking. Um, and uh, I, I think they were wrong to tell me to call my state senator because they already voted on it. But what this points to is this is a larger coalition <laughs> fight, and there's a reason that public banking is in the Green yes, New Deal is. resolution as it was first introduced. Like This is a way that we can build the kind of affordable, kind of renewable energy infrastructure and smart grid and resilient grid technology that Jack Humphreyville is so opposed to, and he'll probably moan and bitch <laughs> about what the finances for the public bank look like. Um, and Oh, he's already well, been yeah. doing that. He's been fighting uh, 
public banking the entire time that it's been a, a, a topic yes. of discussion because that's, that's yep. what he does. Uh, good old Jack. But uh, so so uh, let's move on to everybody's favorite segment. Cops, y'all. So uh, LAPD is uh, going all Terminator, it seems like. Let's talk about what the police commission voted on on Tuesday. So this was a uh, the, cu- the culmination of a long trial project uh, that has been opposed by the Stop LAPD Spying Coalition and a number of other uh, civil rights activists who are concerned about mission creep. Uh, but the LAPD has made it official that drones are now a permanent part of their arsenal. So this was voted on on Tuesday morning uh, at the Los Angeles Police Commissioner's uh, meeting, uh, which is held every Tuesday and is always a... Uh, a thorough joy to uh, encounter and sit through. Uh, I say that in the most sarcastic tone possible. Um, but Whoa. so uh, a couple of things to note here that the regulations on the new official drone program were very much going to be echoing uh, the regulations that they had during the trial program. They're not going to be putting any kind of weapons on these uh, systems or putting any kind of facial recognition software, which as a side note, we're apparently going to be looking into a state level ban on facial recognition software from uh, body cameras, which is awesome, um, mm-hmm. and would would lead the country in that as well. So hooray! Um, but of course, not everybody who heard LAPD say, "Oh yeah, no, trust us, we're not going to put any facial recognition software or weapons on these things." Uh, folks would look back and they go, "Oh well, you said that you were only going to be having police helicopters used for doing." Uh, traffic enforcement, and it was only going to be a handful of them, and now you've got an entire fleet, and somebody actually got shot by an officer from one of these vehicles up in the sky, you know, helicoptering around, and um, (laughs) using it is an interesting verb there. But also, you know, these these, there's always been this mission creep. Yeah, and also to point out, like, LAPD SWAT has been using drones on at least five occasions, I want to say. Yes. Um, So it's not like they haven't been using drones and now they get to use them. They've sort of been skirting the gray area of the law and only using them in specific situations. But we're probably going to see more of this happening, and especially as autonomous drone technology gets better. I would not be surprised that when you see a black and white going through a neighborhood, they're going to have a couple of drones tethered to it, providing, like, 360 views of what's going on on around there and that's super scary you know the idea that like the police with these autonomous drones will be picking up information or seeing through walls you know microwave technology is definitely a thing that exists but how much they'll be able to see that they shouldn't be able to see without a warrant and that's really where we begin to see the the erosion of civil liberties and civil rights so uh, the right now, they're not supposed to be using these things for anything other than SWAT deployments. Um, bomb squad deployments is the new... The Bomb squad is one of the new things that's being added in now that the program is going permanent. Uh, and so is... Uh, I believe it's a sweep for radioactive uh, material in the event of a nuclear threat. So they're covering all the contingencies here, uh, all the extremely likely contingencies uh, for these drone applications. Um, but they're they're going out there and they're 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 doing this. And we, like you mentioned, we are worried that this is going to become an ever an ever-creeping uh, infringement on civil liberties. Uh, activist Michael Novick, who was at the hearing, told the LA Times, quote, 
We're witnessing the exact definition of mission creep. Now you're upgrading, you approved a temporary pilot project, you're going to normalize it with this step. The next step will be they'll come back and say, we actually need to, the ability to have facial recognition, end quote. So this is like, we, we've seen this time and time again of the buildup of the military style arsenal uh, within the LAPD and within the LA Sheriff's Department, where over time they just get ever more and more militarized, much like all of the rest of the police departments, uh, broadly speaking, across this country. We've got this, uh, this, this massive entanglement between the military industrial complex and every level of, uh, of governance in this country. And this is one step forward in that. So one of the things that's also worth noting here is what are we doing to pay for these drones? Um, according to reporting out of the LA Times, the commission accepted a $6,645 donation from the Los Angeles Police Foundation, um, which is going to then be spending that money to purchase the drones. And then they're getting a donation of drone flight tracking software from a company called Measure Aerial Intelligence. Uh, so definitely none of this is seeming at all uh, ominous. Uh, to my mind, everything is just uh, sunshine, rainbows, and daisies, and we don't have anything to worry about this. What do you think? Well, and it, it also goes hand-in-hand hand with the police commission's habit of rubber-stamping these donations. Um, and oh, I, I believe sure. drones yeah. have been donated before. Like, that's where the SWAT team got their drones, yes. was through a similar donation program. From, like, and from it's Seattle. one of these things... Yeah, it's it's a, always strange to see these reports at the end of the LAPD police commissions, like who's donating what and like how much money and where it's going. So it, it seems like this uh, the ability for private interests, especially like the police unions, to donate thousands of dollars worth of material to LAPD when LAPD's already got you know a one point six billion dollar line item budget, and we know at the end of the year when you count overages and overtime and extra spending and emergency response and all that stuff. It's more than $2 billion a year. So you yeah. kind of like, why do you need people donating anything when you're already 54% of our city's budget? Like, that's still a question that, like, no one at City Hall is really tackling, and it really does need to be tackled because we shouldn't be spending the majority of our tax dollars on the police state. Like, I fundamentally do not believe that LAPD is 54% of what makes LA, LA. Correct, and that's... Uh, I mean, couldn't agree with you more. Um, so one final note on this is that as the votes were tallied from the commissioners, the crowd broke into chants of shame, 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 because that's really all the power we have over the LAPD when it comes to this civilian oversight commission that is uh, full of a bunch of allies and cronies who do not uh, meaningfully attempt in any way to hold the Los Angeles Police Department accountable for uh, yep. gross overreaches and breaches of uh, conduct. So, yeah, yeah. that's where I, we're I at. I really hope one of the fights that we do pick as organizers and activists in this city, like working in the criminal legal system space, is to demand that the Civilian Oversight Commission be elected. You know, that these people actually do have to run for their offices, that they can't just be a appointed by a mayor who takes huge donations from the police union. Like that sort of backroom deal when you're talking about the deadliest police department in the nation is going to have very predictable outcomes. And like we've mentioned, you know, LAPD has been better about killing fewer people year over year, but mm -hmm. they still kill way, way too many people. They still make way Absolutely. too many arbitrary arrests. They still are doing all of the worst stuff that they've been doing for a while. They're doing less of it. Like, that that's good. Um, but we still have uh, police officers whose pensions are so big, they break IRS rules. And every time we try and reform that process, the police union 
throws a hissy fit and threatens to fight people in their their re-election campaigns, and ultimately we don't see traction there. And I think, you know, sunshine is a really good disinfectant, and that could go a long way to fixing this stuff up. So, uh, yeah, so um, that kind of wraps it on the news for this week. So let's uh, talk about what's going on. As I mentioned last week, uh, the global climate strike is coming up from the 20th to the 27th. There's going to be a big climate strike at Pershing Square in Los Angeles on the 20th. I believe it's starting around noon. Um, Show up there, get ready to march, get ready to meet some folks, get ready to have a really good time. The one thing I really like about the, the climate strike kind of vibe for their actions is... It's not a depressing and rage-filled, no. like, you know, uh, uh, event. It's There's a lot of hope, and there's a lot of understanding that this movement has grown bigger and bigger and bigger. And seeing young people who have never lived in a world that isn't in the midst of a climate crisis saying, we can do better and we can fix this, is really, really hopeful and really, really amazing. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited for you all to join that. Like I said, it's going to be an entire week of global actions uh, culminating on the 27th. So keep an eye out for stuff that's going going on um, and you know get out there, get involved, and make L.A. get even greener. Hell yeah. So there are a couple of uh, Los Angeles Tenants Union meetings coming up uh, next week. On Wednesday the 18th, we've got the Westside Local Meeting from 6.30 to 8.30 at the Oakwood Recreation Center, uh, which is at 767 California Avenue in Venice, 90291. Uh, And then we've also got the uh, Mid-City Local, which is going to be happening at uh, at Union, uh, 4308, uh, which is located ooh, four, at 4067 West Pico Boulevard. And that's going to be from 7 to 9 p.m., same night, September 18th. Uh, and then we've got the East Hollywood local meeting happening in the same night from 7 to 9 at 5500 Hollywood Boulevard on the fourth floor, 90028. Then on Thursday, the 19th, the Vibe Local, which they're my uh, they're my friends over there at the Vibe Local. Uh, I would be there, but there's going to be a ground game meeting that coincides, of course, because they meet from 7 to 9 p.m. at 3303 Wilshire Boulevard on the 10th floor, which is the UTLA building at the corner of Barendo and Wilshire. Uh, zip code is 90010. And of course... Ground game, we meet on Thursdays from 7.30 till about 9 uh, at 5617 Hollywood Boulevard, just a couple of blocks away from the Wilshire, sorry, from the uh, Western and Hollywood Boulevard metro stop. So come check us out. It's fun. And for anyone interested in getting involved with the ground game, like digitally, like whether you live in Los Angeles or not, if you want to keep up to date with us, I'm going to put the link for you to sign up on our email list into uh, the description of the episode. Uh, I'm kind of getting our digital organizing uh, back on track after it's sort of, we used to do a a decent amount of it. um, We ended up doing a a lot of like door knocking and stuff. You know, activism like this is very high bandwidth. It's easy for balls to drop and you kind of have to make priorities so you don't burn everyone out. But I'm going to be making a bigger push for digital organizing. If you want to get involved, uh, please check us out. Um, And we've got a lot of fun stuff going on. Plus, we'll tie you in with all the exciting People's Action Network stuff that's happening all across the country. So if you're interested in learning more about the Homes Guarantee about the People's Actions Green New Deal cohort, about any of the exciting stuff that we got going on, including some presidential forums coming up in Iowa and New Hampshire, we will definitely keep you clued in on that so you can keep up to date and get involved, get active, and get your friends active because the way we win is by all of us coming together in solidarity. So, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's take us out, Chris.
All right. Well, as always, if y'all have any events that you want us to publicize, take part in, or generally be made aware of, send us a message through the Ground Game LA Facebook page or send an email over to podcast at groundgamela.org. You can follow us on Twitter at Ground Game LA, uh, at Bushido Squirrel, at Christopher Roth, uh, over on Instagram at Ground Game LA, and of course, like and follow our Ground Game LA Facebook page for all of the live streamed content from actions around the city, as well as links from Knock. And of course, you can read stories from our comrades and sometimes the two of us dabbling a little bit over at Knock.LA. If you'd like to read the sources that we are citing or quoting yourself, check out the list of articles cited in the episode description on SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you're listening to us rant and rave about local politics. Uh, so we got some uh, rather sad news yesterday. Uh, Daniel Johnston, one of the most amazing songwriters of our generation, passed away at the age of 58 in his home in Austin. So as he sang, true love will find you in the end. Have yourselves a great week. Thanks, y'all. True love will find you the end You'll find out just who was your friend Don't be sad I know you will But don't give up until True love will find you in the end This is a promise with a catch Only if you're looking can it find you This true love is searching too recognize you unless you step out into the light, the light. Don't be sad, I know you will. But don't give up until true love will find you in the end.